0: to the student ministry podcast by Lifeway. We are really glad that you have picked this podcast to listen to as you search for student ministry podcasts. So thanks. It's an honor to be able to do this for y'all. And if you would leave a rating and review, that would sure be helpful. Uh, We read all of those and we put into practice things that you suggest and uh, we take your comments to heart. Many of them are very encouraging, and so thank you for that. But we also know, uh, want to know what you would have us do to get better. Specific topics you want us to cover. Put those things in there, and we pay attention to those. We do this for you, the student ministry leader. So thanks for choosing it. Uh, when you leave a rating and review, it helps other people find the podcast as well. I'm your host, Ben Trueblood, and I am joined in the studio, our nice digital studio, by the one and only producer Nathan. Nathan, Hello. how are you today? Hello.
1: I'm good. How's it going?
0: It's good, man. It's good. Uh, we'll we'll come to you for a lacrosse refing update. Uh, I'm sure at some point along the way, you before we pressed record, you were telling us how many miles you're getting per week now, up and down the field. What what is that?
1: It's probably going to be this week, every day this week. So it's going to be close to twenty five thirty probably. So
0: just. Out there working, man. I like it. Legs are are always, always sore. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) That's right. Well, uh, our guest. we're super stoked today to have uh, this guest with us. Now, uh, I want to preface this before I jump in uh, to our bio information. I want to preface this because there's a really unique perspective that I think we're going to get from our guest today. And that is a ministry perspective. And then uh, from ministry into a sales perspective, back into ministry, and so there are some unique things that Sean's learned along the way that really apply to ministry from the colliding of those two worlds. So I'm excited to get into this conversation. I know you are; it's going to be beneficial to you. So let me tell you a little bit about Sean Nelson before we get going, and then uh, we'll we'll dive right into the conversation. Sean was born in Detroit, Michigan where he established his personal relationship with God. In 2004, he left his hometown, followed the, God, the call of God in his life, and went to Houston. So a long travel, so we'll, we'll get into that from, from Detroit to Houston. Uh, he began volunteering at Star of Hope Homeless Shelter near downtown, offered his first position in ministry only two months after that, uh, served as the Star of Hope Homeless Shelter as the student director while attending Bible college and studied biblical counseling. Uh, Enjoys making memories with his family to travel, playing basketball, lifting weights, and uh, found out right before competing in bodybuilding competitions. So excited to uh, maybe get into that a little bit. Attending plays, the guy sings, he plays guitar, a man of many talents, uh, but also, and uh, one of the main reasons we have him on today, man, just a heart for students, teenagers, empowering the next generation of leaders. Uh, He is married, six kids, two grandkids. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here.
2: Thank you guys. Thank you, Ben. Uh, I'm I'm excited about this opportunity, and thank you guys.
0: Yeah, man. So let's talk first. uh, Detroit to Houston. How did that happen? Was it just I'm going to throw a dart and Houston's where it landed? How did you How did you get down to Houston?
2: Man, you know what? As you think, as you ask me that question. It actually has a lot to do with what we're, what I'm going to talk about today with uh, just from going from ministry to sales and then back to ministry, it was connection. I had a, uh, I was born and raised in Detroit, so I'm a PK, uh, nice. grew up as a, as a preacher's kid. And, and so I thought I'd be in Detroit forever, bro. I was at Wayne State University, uh, a college downtown, almost like U of H okay. uh, in Detroit. And I was studying engineering. I was studying kind of switching I think I started at electrical and then switched to mechanical engineering. I was like, man, I'm going to just go make a bunch of money, and that's what I want to do. And then I, I met a guy, and church has, has always been my background and my foundation, um, but I started to notice some things that were a disconnect for me around 15, about 20, mm-hmm. that I was just like, you know what, I, I think I'm going to go live my life, make some money, and I'll do this Christian thing when I turn 40. Mm. Um, and that was kind of my deal. And then I met a young guy, uh, who came to Detroit from Gordon Christian college. He did an internship at my church and I was just kind of in awe of the fact that he was young like me, um, but pursuing God and didn't change who he was. Like he was fully hip hop, hat to the back. Uh, I think he had a diamond earring in and, but he loved the Lord. And I'm mm. like, who is this cat? <laughs> uh, and then he was Asian. Shout out to my, my bro, Milton Chin. Um, beloved like brother that. in the faith and in my life, man. And um, he came and I was just like, a, a relationship with God is attainable. And I don't have to change who I am. Mm. And so then I started pursuing then Milton actually called me. He actually was working at Star of Hope Homeless Shelter in Houston. And he was like, hey, bro, you got to get down here and come see what the Lord is doing and come hang out with me. And I'm like, nah, it's too hot in Houston. And y'all roaches are pretty big from what I heard. <laughs> I'm straight. And uh, I, I had a, uh, I don't know if you ever read Bill Hybels, uh, shout out to Bill Heibel's book, Dis- uh, Holy Discontent, mm. uh, to where he kind of talks yeah. about where God just kind of stirs in you a discontent with where you are and who you are and what you're doing. And that's where I was. And so I was like, you know what, Milt? Let me, let me come out there and hang out with you, bro. And hanging out turned into a wife and 12 years marriage and six kids and 17 years in ministry. Um, they offered me his position. He set me up. Thanks milk. Mm. Thanks. Wendy toops. Uh, he set me up and I actually, in two months, they offered me his position and he went on to do something else. And that's when I took it. And I, I worked at star hope homeless shelter for four years. Um, Katrina hit and, uh, Ike hit kind of back to back and uh, we lost a lot of funding. I thought I'd do that forever. Um, and then the Lord's kind of had me on a, on a, on a turnpike of, of, of Christian leadership. I've been in the Episcopal church. I've served in a homeless shelter. Now I'm a youth pastor at a predominantly black Methodist church. So I've been all over the gambit of ministry, connections, pastor, adult discipleship, youth pastor, sales. So it's been a, it's been a whole journey, man. And married six kids, um, two grandchildren uh, in a, in a bully pit who thinks he's a lap dog. (laughs)
0: <laughs> man there are so many things i want to dive into I'll, I'll start with the with the dog man uh pits have a bad reputation they do but the sweetest dogs like if bro you-
2: bro bro people are people don't understand like they are i think they were raised i kind of looked it up they were raised to like protect children as they kind of just roamed about the land and that's what my dog does man like he literally like he walked when my daughter, Addie, who's the youngest, was about five. He would just walk beside her mm. and would take and anything coming her way. He's like, what are you doing? You got three seconds before my pit really comes out. And so yeah. pits are amazing, amazing pets, man. And we love Duke. He loves us back.
0: Man, that's awesome. So I want to follow up on something that you said. And you were talking about how you met Milton and I think that was that was the name uh, that you you mentioned a second ago. And something that you saw in him was, hey, here's somebody who is following Jesus, loves the Lord, didn't have to change who he was. Um, talk about that, because I know it, there in Houston, uh, working at the at the homeless shelter and coming yeah. in in yeah. contact with teenagers. Talk about the struggle that that you had and that you see in other teenagers of man, I, I don't have to, I can still be part of my culture. I can still be big time, big time, a, bro. The tension that you saw there. And what yeah. was it about Milton that said, Oh, like I can follow Jesus in the midst of all of this too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Milton came from a, a, a bit of brokenness. I think his parents had a divorce kind of interrupted his life and what he thought, you know, was a, was a family makeup and well, every, every family, should be together, but it doesn't always work like that, right? And so mm-hmm. when you're a teenager and that hits you, it disrupts your, your vision for your life. Like, man, I'm 16 and my, my parents live differently. And so I think that was Milton. Milton had a, a, a gym teacher or a teacher at his school that just really pulled him in and loved on him. And um, that teacher never asked him to change who he was. He just started pursuing him and loving him. S- sounds a bit like Christianity, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that was the thing for me. And then when you get to, when you're working in the inner city, I, I'm I'm a I'm a, I'm an inner city boy. I'm from the the west side of Detroit, six mile in Southfield. I've seen a lot of stuff growing up, uh, pretty much the hood of Detroit. It wasn't the, the, the worst part of Detroit, but it was hood of Detroit. And so you can't go in there preaching behavior modifications. Mm. You can't go in there preaching, pull your pants up, take your do-rag off, undo yeah. your braids, um, because that's who these people are that's what yeah. they know um, and and then you tell you're telling them the way you look and the way you uh, the way you express the way you want to look is wrong when you wow. say behavior modifications and so Jesus and, and God what I've learned is he isn't after behavior modifications he's after heart transformation that's right and that's what I saw in Milton I saw somebody whose heart was being transformed. So I never really even paid attention to the outside like he had on. I think when I first met him, he had a uh, went back in the day. There were throwback jerseys and you would wear like an Elgin Baylor, New York Knicks or somebody jersey. And it would be huge. Right. And so his jersey was to the back. He had a hat to the back and two diamond earrings. But he was reading the Gospel of John in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like, who is this cat? Yeah. Um, And so. I think, and then when I when you work in the inner city and you work in in an environment like Star of Hope homeless shelter, man, behavior modifications is the is the least of your worries. Mm-hmm. You know, you're looking at people who are dealing with immediate homelessness, um, who families are at women's emergency shelters, transitional living centers, um, and you really got to help them find hope outside of the brokenness that they experience every day. So yeah, you man. can't come in talking. Um, you need to be at church every Sunday. You, you can't come in because they 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 mm. they're not going to hear you. They're not going to hear you. And so I learned quickly and I was taught a lot of different things in, in urban ministry and in uh, inner city at risk youth. Um, you got to know the difference between behavior modifications and formation of the heart mm. uh, and of the soul. And so that's, that's a big practice in inner city mis- ministry is that we're looking to transform the soul and not so much. Behavioral patterns; those things will follow.
0: Man, that is so good, and that is a that is a principle. I think that translates outside of inner city into every ministry, every every context, and every small group, and every every time somebody like that is. That's so powerful because I think sometimes we naturally gravitate towards. Man, if I could just get this person on the outside to, to look and act whatever way, fill in the yeah. blank, right? Yeah, yeah. Then that's a win, but it's not.
2: It's not. It's at not all. the win. Yeah, it's not. You actually start, you start losing, you start diluting the real vision when you do that mm. because then that becomes the norm and then that becomes a false sense of religiosity you yeah. know and I grew up I grew up in that and it wasn't wrong but I was always chasing I grew up in church so I was always chasing an experience yeah um but those you know a relationship with our relationship with God isn't always experiential like you're going to have some moments where you just don't feel them, and you don't you don't you know you're not like you know the Jesus goosebumps on you and uh, you get all the green lights on your way to work yeah. like there's just some days you get all red lights <laughs> There's just some days your boss is on you and it, it, that's life, yeah. you know, but can you, can you pursue God even in those moments, man?
0: Yeah. And that's, it's those red light moments that like the heart transformation really shows, right?
2: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Man, you mentioned, uh, working at the homeless shelter, Katrina hit, Ike hit, and I know the landscape of Houston really changed as a right. result of Katrina because a lot of people I know moved from New Orleans, fled initially, just fled huge. there,
2: That was huge, but ended up
0: staying in Houston. So, man, I'd love to hear about kind of the, because we know you, you had the sales moment kind of in between. I'd love to hear more about the pre-sales ministry that you, that you had there in Houston.
2: Sure. Yeah. So we were, we were boots on the ground, man. We were uh, at that time. And then Katrina just brought another opportunity to minister because we were in the, a lot of the youth pastors that were in the inner city at that time. We all saw what happened between when New Orleans younger youngsters and their, their teenage kids mm. came into the high schools. Houstonians were like, this is Houston. This ain't New Orleans. Mm. But the New Orleans kids were coming in and there were some huge fights. And so we were wow. on the ground, man. We were we were right there watching the things happen, being a part of the conflict re- resolutions, um, aiding teachers like it went from just ministry at a church to now ministry at the schools. Wow. Um, having to be called on by 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 teachers and school districts to say, hey, we need some local pastors. We need support from these churches. We need men that can come here and be present because there's a lot of fights happening. Um, it was pretty crazy. But ministry before that was, you know, when you're doing urban ministry, you lack resources sometimes. Um, but the challenge, though, when you lack resources is you try to be all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how my I, I, I lived. Uh, I, I discovered that I'm a seven on the enneagram. Okay. Um, and for me, that's a high visionary, right? Like, I, I can, I'm always thinking about the future. It's, I'm, I struggle to, to stay present because I'm always thinking about the future. Um, and with that comes, I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, but my problem is sometimes I try to be the tunnel, I try to be the <laughs> cartwheel that the, the cart rail that gets us there. That's right. I try to be the light and I try to be all things. And so for me, early, that's who I was. I was always trying to be all things instead of delegation mm. um, and finding others like Enneagram fives or twos or eights or nines that could help carry out the vision. Um, so I struggled early in ministry um, with number one, I think it was identity was found in ministry. Yeah. That I was the youth pastor and youth pastors are cool people. They get to wear their hats to the back and show up to meetings kind of late because that's the youth pastor in me. Um And so my identity was found in being a youth pastor uh, instead of just the role and the seat that I had in that moment to Mm. raise the next generation. And it wasn't always bad. It wasn't always unhealthy. um, But as I look back, ministry a lot of times was the end goal versus ministry leading to an end goal. Yeah. And so now on the opposite side of that, which we'll talk to in a a bit, but uh, I've now tried to really make sure ministry is not the end. Like the event is not the end. The program, that's not the end goal. It's leading us to something. It's pointing to something. Yeah. Um, and so that was a struggle early on in ministry. And I think getting into sales, really getting out of ministry actually helped me break that. Because when you're in ministry, a lot of times, man, you've got um, you, you're, you you got to um, veil over what really works you know, you, you, you think ministry and, and, and we got to talk Jesus all day long. Like you can actually be together, not talk Jesus and the Holy spirit be present.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: You know, like, so I, so for me, it was at ministry. It was all about church and ministry and programming versus it leading us to something.
0: Mm. So I let, let's link those two things together because, uh, that, that identity and the event or ministry not being the end goal is something you took away from your time in sales, stepping out of ministry, getting fresh view on it. Man, I, I have a similar experience in a youth pastor in local church and then coming to serve at Lifeway while it's still Christian organization. It's different. It's different is different. And I have, I've said often, like, I think it would be so healthy. It's not very practical. Like, I don't know how you would do this practically, I but think I, I think, it, I think it would be helpful for every youth pastor, every pastor to serve in ministry for a bit and then not for a short period of time and then come back because it really has, like, I look back and I say, well, I would be a much better youth pastor now than I was Before, Because it gives you fresh eyes. So I would love to hear some of that that you took away from being out of ministry for for a little while, doing sale. So the journey is in Houston, doing your thing. Katrina comes through, funding goes away. You've got to do, like you've got to find a way to do something else, right? Is that how the how the sales stuff started is just.
2: Actually, the sales stuff started. Uh, that was the leading into it because I started to realize, like, wait a minute, I can't put all my eggs in one basket. Okay. Um, because funding, when funding is out, so is my job. So That's I got to right. figure out. Uh, now I was single then. Uh, then I got married in 20, 2010 and I was still doing ministry, but then I had a, a real, you know, church hurt experience. Mm. And I'm starting not to call it that anymore because it's just, it's life, man. It, it happens. But. Yeah. I, I had an experience where something I, I, I lost my job in a, in a just a, a crazy moment of change that mm-hmm. I was at a local church that I thought I would be at forever. Yeah. And um, I just vowed to never get back into ministry. Like I'm never working in another church because y'all church folks are crazy. Um, I know because I'm one of them. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? Not only that, my skill set allow I have a greater capacity to make a greater income. You know, ministry sometimes is they want you to do a whole lot for a whole little. Yeah. Um, Sometimes you you are an event planner as a youth pastor. You are a preacher, a motivational speaker. You are a counselor. And you're doing all these things as a youth pastor and getting paid for one salary when you're doing five jobs. Yeah. And so I was just like, you know what? I'm not doing it. Somebody saw me working out one time at 24 Hour Fitness and was like, hey, man, you a trainer? I was like, no. (laughs) Um, He was like, I got a job for you. And I was in between jobs. I was doing little odd jobs. And so he hired me uh, at a 24-hour fitness, man. And, and then I moved up and became a manager there, um, did that, and then went into um, fitness sales and just was like, this will be my career. I'll yeah. run gyms. I want to become a gym manager. I was at Lifetime Fitness for a while and um, just loved it, man. I Lo- absolutely loved it. Um, it was a lot of community there. A lot of people from the gym hang out together. Because, you know, you know how you 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 do CrossFit. We were talking. Yeah. You got your CrossFit hoodie on, and um, it's a community, man. You you don't go. Sometimes you go for the the workout, but that's probably once out of the five days you go. You yeah. really go to see your people.
0: Yeah, there's that's man. What the gym became the fitness industry. Really has figured out this community thing, and big time. Uh, sometimes you know there are. Uh, I want to be careful here because I know there are churches who who also do community really well. But in many cases, I think the church could learn from the how to build community from the fitness industry.
2: And it goes back to what you said. Those who lead in the local church have to get out of the local church to get some experience to take back to the local church and enhance what the mission is Mm. Um, it's not going to happen just sitting in in your offices like god has some people equipped in some industries the fitness industry is a god-driven industry like as much as la fitness thinks it wants to be an entity by itself god is driving that bus um and so there's some things to learn from that man and so i got to to lifetime fitness bro and um i thought it was overwhelming at first i'll be honest because I was in charge of sales. I had to sign people up. And when you get in a role of sales like that, and it's um, uh, Lifetime Fitness was 100% commission. I didn't Mm -hmm. have a salary.
0: So you got to close.
2: Bro, you (laughs) got to be close. They call it in sales, they say ABC. Always be closing. If I'm at Kroger... And somebody makes eye contact with me, ABC. <laughs> like, hey, good to meet you, man. You, you know that loaf of bread is going to cost you about three days in the gym, man. I got a, I got a free pass for you. Like, That's
0: right. That's right.
2: Like I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm a sales guy at heart. Like I'm always ABC. I'm al- always be closing, man. And um, uh, so uh, it was just it was overwhelming at first because I used to I used to ask one of my managers, like, bro, do people like once we sign up everybody in this area? Where who are we gonna get? Like, where do we sign people up from? He's yeah. like, bro, trust me, there's always somebody to sign up. And I didn't trust that. Like, I'll be honest with you. It was I, I showed up every day with a little bit of anxiety. Like, I'm gonna see about 10 people today. Will they even sign up? Mm. And so you learn how to overcome objections. Hey, I ain't got the time. Let me go talk to my wife. Uh, I'm not ready yet. So you're learning how to overcome all these objections. Yeah. Um, but really, what when I learned how to overcome the objections, you know what it really was? It was just really learning how to self-talk myself. Mm. If I can learn how to defeat my own personal objections, I can help you defeat your own objections. Because guess true. what? You and I have the same ones. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I learned. I, that was one thing I learned. But the fitness world was overwhelming until I realized he was right. People are always canceling and people are always ready to sign up. Your job is to be a bridge between the acquisition and retention. Mm. And sales is all about acquisition and retention. How many can you acquire and how many can you keep? Sounds a bit like the church. How Mm. many can you acquire and how many can you retain, right? And COVID has taught us that most churches have had a lot of attrition and youth groups especially are struggling with attrition. Why? Because you've been on Zoom for a year and a half and the only people who are coming are are your Sunday school workers' kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And so kids are phased out from Zoom. They're phased out from everything. And so there's a lot of attrition. And so I, I didn't I didn't think like that when I was in youth ministry before. I didn't think acquisition, retention, and attrition numbers and Cause I wasn't getting paid on a bonus for those Right. <laughs> in sales. Right. I was
0: right. in yeah.
2: sales. It was like, Hey guys, you help us keep our attrition low. You get a $400 bonus. And so I'm in the gym like, Hey Ben, have you worked out this week? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Hey Nathan, don't cancel your membership. Whatever you do, don't cancel. <laughs> Put it on hold.
0: That's right. So as a, uh, what are some of the principles? Um, definitely that being one of them and just seeing that, seeing that differently. What are some of the other principles that you have now brought back into your role serving in the church?
2: Um, I, this word sounds, everybody uses it, and it sounds so clicheous, man, but it's, it's connection. Mm-hmm. It is true biblical connection. And I mm-hmm. want to give you a quick story about something that changed and rocked my world, and I still tell it to this day. I even tell it to my business owner friends. And this is free game for anybody listening to the pod today. Um, this is free game. If you're in business, uh, you can send me a, a cash app, uh, <laughs> 904, uh, if you want to bless me for this free free game today. Yeah, there you go. Um, but it was, I'll tell you a story. So in, in fitness world, it's all about signing people up. Um, we used to have two terms. Uh, one major term was called a doorman. A doorman was a sales guy who always depended on the door. The people walking in the door saying, hey, hey, I want to tour this place and blah, blah, blah. I learned quickly that the people walking through the door, they don't stay long Mm. because they didn't have a true connection point. Their connection was curiosity. I want to see how big this place is. I want to see how good you preach. I want to see if the if the songs are good. I want to see if the games in this youth group are good curiosity never keeps people. Mm. And so people would walk through the door. They would get the full tour. The sales guy would think that he's doing an amazing job. I just had an hour and a half tour. He told me he's going to bring the whole family back. That dude never came back. Yeah. (laughs) That dude was just walking off his lunch uh, or his dinner uh, many times. And so you didn't want to be a doorman in sales. Don't depend on the door. That's a challenge, maybe a metaphor to, to leadership in the church. Don't depend on Sunday morning. The door swings to open too much. Mm. There's too many people walking in and out who are coming. I want to check your church out. Sunday morning is not a tell-all as to who's interested in your church. It's not. The other thing I, I I saw, um, there was once, you know, we did tours and we would give new people tours, and people would just pop in our office sometimes. Like, hey, I got a Ben with Ben, you would come in with a friend, like, hey, Sean. Um, I got a friend that's interested. Could you hook him up with a pass? Um, and I'll be like, yeah, Ben, I got you, man. I, here's a, here's a, here's a three day pass. Here's a one week pass. Tell them to come see me, you know, whenever they're ready, go enjoy a class or so. Yeah. One time this guy came into my office and he was like, Hey man, I'm ready to sign up. And I was like, all right. Did you talk to anybody? He was like, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just, I just got done with a workout and I'm ready to sign up. So my red flags are going off. My spidey senses are going off. Like, who gave this dude a tour? I don't want to steal a membership from somebody. You know, like, who, how, who is his connection point? And so I'm signing him up like, this is too easy. Like, yeah. I'm about to make some money. And all he did was walk into my office. <laughs> and so I asked him, I said, man, like, like can I give you a tour? Uh, can I give you a tour of this place? And he was like, no, nah, man, it's, I, I, I've been, he's like, hey, man, I'm, I've already been here for two months. And I'm like, what? How, how, who, who let you in my club? Who let you in my gym for 2 months without you coming to see me first, right? So he was actually a triathlete. Um and my gym used to have this triathlon training. You would do a run, bike, swim, but it started at 5 in the morning. And so the group fitness instructor who taught the triathlon class, he used to just let this dude in. <laughs> he used to just let this dude in. And so but but you know what's crazy about it? He did my job for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to give him a tour. I didn't have to sell the dude. I didn't have to give him any of my 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 reasons as to why I think this gym is amazing. He was already connected. Yeah. And it was through somebody else. And so he was ready to sign up. So his real front door was his group fitness instructor. Yep. So what I learned in the gym business is all about connection. If people the people who stayed in the gym and got the most results were the people who came with friends, yeah. not the people who came solo. So when I got out of fitness sales, my next job that I got was actually as an adult discipleship pastor at an Episcopal church. And I couldn't even spell Episcopal. <laughs> I, I didn't even know how to spell it. Like, what? What? what is this church? And the pastor, my man, shout out to Daryl Prophet. He was like, hey, man, can you make disciples? Do you like to make disciples? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, you can do the job. That's all I'm asking you to do. So I took a lot of that from the sales, the acquisition, the retention. You have to have both. Yeah. I don't want to sit here and sound like acquisition and retention are bad things. They, are, they aren't, but they do not stand alone. What key, What is in between acquisition and retention, what I learned is true connectivity. Mm. How are you connecting to your students? Um, and how is your ministry a connection to God and to each other? And that's what I learned. That's what I kind of harped on in ministry is that if my event didn't help people get to know each other, connect to each other and connect to God, we're not doing it. Really, my driving values now that I'm back, I'm now back as most people don't get this opportunity uh, to go back into youth ministry after years of being out of it. That's right. I'm now after I think nine years or so, I haven't been in youth ministry. I've been doing adult ministry. Now I'm coming back into it with fresh perspective. Like number one, we got to get micro. Like I got to focus on the micro. If I can influence one person, the masses will be influenced. Mm. Um, And the macro isn't so much important. The large group event Sunday morning is amazing, but I got to dial in on the micro level, the small groups.
0: Man, that is so, there's so much in there that you've said. That's so good. And just that last little piece. The micro versus the macro level, because, uh, man, I think many times we get distracted by all the stuff that it takes to produce the macro that we forget to allot time to those micro things that really develop your other point, which is connection.
2: Yeah. Yeah. the The macro produces quicker results. And that's why, because more people came to that event. I had two hundred. Oh, I had one hundred. I had a lock in, three hundred kids, and uh, we went on a missions trip. There were fifteen. The macro produces it, it's this this sense of, of of this euphoric feeling that I'm I'm accomplishing God's will. Yeah. Um. But the mi- mi- micro it takes a little longer. Yeah. But those results are deeper and last longer.
0: And it's really to draw back to something you said in the beginning the micro is really where we see the most heart formation happen right
2: yep yeah it is man and we're scared i think we're we're scared of that because it's it's the macro is so trendy yeah um and yeah. there's some big names out here and we live in a culture where you can say a few words and then everybody wants you on their podcast and everybody is calling you to their church and it makes it seem like The big name is it, and the big event is it. But um, I remember looking at a stat that said most churches, there's only about 500 mega churches in the world. Every other church is under 400 people. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Every other church is under 200. So the real trend is that, and the real rule is that your churches are actually really small. The exception are the mega churches. Mega churches are the exception, they are not the rule. And so I think we get caught up in going, it's gotta be big. My name has to be out there. And I gotta and I, I look back to Jesus, bro. And Jesus was a youth pastor. I, I'm gonna write a book pretty soon here called Jesus was a youth pastor. But the disciples, most of them probably were less were 18 years or younger. Yeah. You know, in that rabbinical, in that time, when you look for a rabbi, Jesus was only 30 as a rabbi, so he didn't have anybody older than him. And in that culture, You look for a rabbi and you had the privilege of finding somebody to teach you religiosity and life right when you were about 15. So Mark, Andrew, Peter, them guys were 17, bro. Yeah. And what did Jesus spend three years doing? Uniting them, connecting them. They all had different tax collector uh, James and John, them, them boys were they 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 were thugs. Like they wanted to fight. Peter was a thug. Like I'm, I got a sword and I'm cutting ears. Um, and Jesus had to reel that stuff in. Like, hey, don't be so thuggish, Peter. You you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Like, but he spent three years connecting them, and then they went and did some amazing things. But it wasn't until they were connected to God and to each other.
0: Yeah, yeah that's and
2: that's crazy. what I think we we struggle with. But God has given us a, a layup, uh, an alley oop with COVID. Like COVID was an opportunity to get smaller and to get more micro than macro. Yeah, and if you're still trying to do large things, God bless you. <laughs> if you're still trying to do a whole bunch of major events, God bless you. But I think God has allowed us a, a natural rhythm and interruption in COVID to say hey, let some other leaders lead. Hmm. Let some families open up their home and you don't have to be the one that influences every kid.
0: Wow. that I mean, that statement right there, like you don't have to be the one that influences every kid is a really, really powerful statement.
2: And it goes back to my, my struggle in my identity, man. I thought I had to be the one as a youth pastor to influence every kid, man. And yeah. what I've learned and one statement I'll give is that in this latter part of doing ministry, is that I cannot disciple everybody, but I can create a culture where everyone can be discipled.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: I cannot disciple everybody; it is impossible. I don't. I don't want that anymore. I used to have kids at my house, multiple different kids at my house, and I'm just like, now I got a family,
0: and <laughs> got six kids, of them there.
2: <laughs> I got six of them. Two, three, two of them are older and doing their own thing, but I'm discipling my family first. Yeah. so I can't disciple your child that's your job you know and so I how do I build a, a ministry where everyone can be discipled yeah. that's my goal now that's my goal
0: that's awesome Sean I want to thank you for taking the time to pour into us and the audience today this is uh this has been phenomenal thank you for your time oh,
2: my pleasure man this has been I wish I had your your your, your last name is so cool. Man. <laughs>
0: Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it.
2: And Nate dog, I love just saying Nate dog. I know you <laughs> but you Nate dog to me, man.
0: Hey, sometimes he has to regulate. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yes, right.
2: sir. That's it's okay. okay to regulate. That's right. I, yeah, I appreciate you, man. This has been fun, man.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, producer Nathan and I will be right back after this quick message. Hey, I want to take just a minute to tell you about some friends of ours. Student Standing Strong is an organization that provides you the student ministry with biblically relevant and life-changing weekly studies for your students to lead at school. So this is something that is a campus group building ministry. They help you help your students start Bible studies on their on their school campus. So S3 Students Standing Strong S3 Campus Clubs provide Christian students a place to encourage one another, study God's word, and share their faith and church with classmates. Check out mys3.org and train up a generation of students to learn, live, and lead biblical truth. Students Standing Strong is a bridge from the schoolhouse to the church house. Hey, producer Nathan and I are back. Talk about some takeaways from today's episode with Sean. Good stuff in there, man. What uh, What are you walking away with today? And it was that was really good. That was a
1: man. We could go into like ten more episodes on each one of those different points.
0: The same thing.
1: Wow. I think a big one for me is the connection point that he talked about. Like that really is so true. Uh, I kind of resonate with him. From my own background, having worked in the the fitness industry, recreation industry, and when you run hard at that, it really is about that connection piece. And when you see people stay, it's because of connection. And so I think that just what he said about how taken away that if we don't connect people, the changing out kind of the macro to the micro, he is so right that the macro can be flashy, the macro can be fun, the macro can look amazing. But just like he mentioned, we see. Jesus did macro some macro stuff feeding the 5,000 big preaching events, but the majority of his time was spent with the micro with the 12 disciples. And that's what made it different. Like that's what those 12 went on 11. And then when they you know added the other one, but that's went on and led us to where, you know, Christianity, our faith is today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He definitely had those big, those bigger macro moments, but would always then retreat to a micro setting, Mm -hmm. man. I, I, it stuck with me. I think the thing, the connection stuff, I, man, we have, we've kind of been ringing that bell too mm-hmm. through the podcast and it's always good to hear that from somebody else and somebody with experience that comes to it from a different angle and says, look, like this is what kept people in this. And so that has to be part of the, the equation here. And we know that that's biblical as well. Connection with other believers. I think what I'm walking away with is that, curiosity doesn't keep people Mm -hmm. and the illustration of the person who just wants to see the equipment and Mm -hmm. how big the gym is and how like, well, how nice stuff is and how new stuff is translates straight to church. I mean, people come in all the time just to Test something out just to see. I mean, he said it. How good's your music? How good's the preacher? Mm-hmm. How big are the events? What are the games like? They're all those things like curiosity doesn't keep people. And I think that's an important distinction because curiosity can get someone through the door, but it's the connection. It's the connection to you as the youth pastor. It's the connection to your adults that you train because you can't disciple everybody. It's the connection that you create between a person and God and a person and other people Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that curiosity doesn't keep people is, is the thing that I'm that's sticking with me today yeah all right thanks for listening to the student ministry podcast by Lifeway we'll see you next time